Spectre Cinema Club episode 172. Crow the Poet on Letterboxd gives Saltburn 3 out of 5 stars saying, Barry Keoghan has so much game that he can fuck an entire family and their bathtub, steal their house, then helicopter dick over their graves. Hello, hello. Welcome to Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with horror subgenres. I am one of your hosts, Garrett McDowell, sitting across from me. It's Devon Taylor. Hello, hello. It's been a minute since we got to do one in person. Yeah, and just you and I solo this week because uh, we're talking one of your picks this month, which I'm very excited. Yes, for. we are. We are pick, uh, talking my pick for the for the year. Well, I mean, Godzilla minus one was my number one film, but yeah, we, we talked about that. Yeah, so we, we I, both had a little treat. We had a little extra. Yeah, you know, we, we went back for seconds. <laughs> yeah, so we got to pick uh, some of our uh, other ones to talk talk about and uh this was supposed to come out last week mm. uh it was supposed to be swapped when the win evil lurks episode if you guys saw on the calendar but what uh, happened <laughs> <laughs> what happened devon so uh, i mean uh, i i said on twitter that was saltburn-esque and i mean yes it, uh in, in a horny fashion obviously um it was just uh you know was uh having having some drinks at, at my bar i was yeah. off the clock and i was just chilling and there's this guy that comes into our bar mm. And uh, he's a bit of a slime ball. Um, so, so our bar is also it's a very popular first date spot. Slime ball, just like, in general. Like, like he's like like a gross looking guy, or like continues to be kind of a, no, a, a slut. You know, no, I mean he's a decent looking guy. But his thing is he brings in just all sorts of dates. Like, ah. he, so it's his thing that he like meets up, you know, matches with somebody on an app and then yeah. brings them there. Yeah. Which like you got to vary your spots up if you're going to do something like that. Yeah. And then it's like funny because he thinks we don't notice. You know, and and the only thing is, like, he, he they come and uh, the date will order a drink and he won't get any alcohol. He'll get a he'll get a soda water or a Red Bull. Nah, I don't like that. Exactly. Nah, I don't like that. And, you know, so we've like seen moments like that. And it's just like, Devon, if you're about to tell me that you slept with this guy and that's why you missed <laughs> the podcast, I'm going to be incredibly disappointed with you. <laughs> yes, I slept with him and then God I took his damn apartment. It, Devon. God damn it. Uh, I took his apartment. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but it's like, you know, we, there's nothing we can really do. It's yeah. just like, you know, he's doing a date, it's whatever. Um, but occasionally, like mm -hmm. if I, if we see some weird vibes, I'll, I'll say something to the date. Like while he's in the bathroom, if I'm, if I'm like detecting some weirdness, I'll just yeah. be like, Hey, how are you doing? How's how's the night? You know? Yeah. And, uh, and that wasn't exactly the case this time. Uh, this girl just looked so incredibly bored ah. <laughs> and I felt bad for her. Like, like I, I literally saw her like rolling her eyes at one point, like, like, and I'm like a few stools down. Yeah. And then, so he goes to the bathroom, like, Hey, like, how's it going? She's like, this fucking sucks. He's a weirdo. And I was like, well, we got Big some surprise in here. <laughs> we got some info for you. But yeah. so we, um, me and, uh, Julia was working. She pours us around a shots. Um, and she's like, okay, hey, hey, let's all take a shot together. And we didn't like wait for the guy because he doesn't drink alcohol or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, but he like comes out as we're taking a shot. And I guess he got mad at her mm. or something um, because he like and then me and her were like kind of talking like as he like came back out. And then he was just like, oh, well, fine, I'm just going to go. And then he just like left. And she was like, all right, bet. <laughs> so, yeah, she goes, OK, bye. He leaves. And then me and her just end up kicking it for the rest of the night. Yeah. We have a bunch of drinks. I bring her home. All this good stuff. Uh, long story short, 
slept through um, my alarms to record because we were going to do like a uh, semi-earlier one. Now, I, I, I say this not to make you feel bad, but my side of the story was waking up extra early so I could watch uh, Talented Mr. <laughs> Ripley uh, to compare uh, the two films because today we're talking about Saltburn. Uh, and so I sat there idly by my computer waiting to record and... I was I was ghosted. I I, I was left on a date. <laughs> so you you save somebody from one, but you stood up uh, somebody on another. <laughs> I know which one matters more. Damn, I'm, I'm gonna regret this as I dance nakedly through my hallway hungover. Yeah. <laughs> it, I had a, if it's any consolation, the worst hangover headache I'd had in a minute. It Good. literally took Good. me out for the entire day. Like uh, I had been able to text you back, and I went back to sleep until like four o'clock. <laughs> like it took me out. So. I did get my uh, comeuppance uh, a little bit, um, but yeah, this is our last week of Best of 2023, and it's actually a, a kind of a fun little lead-in because it uh, shares uh, some subgenre things that we'll be talking about next month mm-hmm. uh, for our theme. Quick uh, few messages from the Ouija board. Uh, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Spectre Cinema. officially on and Patreon And it is now. officially live. I've been saying it all month because I'm going to still put it in the links and everything, so mm-hmm. like, just so it retroactively, but yes, we are officially, the page is live. Uh, we have a patron. Uh, shout out uh, Lexi, uh, who is a uh, our first patron um and uh come join us uh because uh, we have a few different tiers with some bonus material for you guys uh watching the watch list number two is up um uh, you can uh, hear a little clip of that in the main feed uh to kind of get a little taste of uh what we're going to be uh doing here on patreon as well as our uh commentary for mathregan is also up uh, again, another 2023 pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so join in over on Patreon where you can uh, vote in polls. Uh, we'll let you guys uh, decide, help us decide some subgenres to cover down the road, uh, some of the commentaries, and hey, you can even become a producer and pick an episode for the main feed. Uh, so uh, please uh, enter the Phantom Zone with us. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun over there here in 2024. Let's go ahead and head back on in to Saltburn. Saltburn, released November 17th, 2023. This was written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who is the writer and director of Promising Young Woman from a few years back. Uh, she got a screenplay uh, award for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the cinematography was done by Linus Sandgren. The score done by Anthony Willis. And this was edited by Victoria Bodell. Victoria Boydell. Um, box office uh, didn't do too much. It had uh, kind of like a, it, it, it was a limited release. Um, I know a few different countries didn't get it until a little bit late in theaters. Um, uh, bringing in about $20.9 million. Um, couldn't find the actual budget somewhere estimated between 10 and $30 million from what I could find. Um, but then this was uh, released onto Amazon Prime, uh, I think on Christmas or Christmas Eve, I believe. It was yeah. like literally like uh, Christmas week. Uh, and Happy holidays. <laughs> Happy holidays. This is the, the movie that uh, you want to curl up, uh, you know, get cozy with your family and uh, watch uh, people slurp come out of a bath. Tis the season, you know? Tis the season. And, and it, it did spark a little uh, fun, like uh, people filming their families' reactions and posting them on TikTok at uh, some of you know the more uh, uh, jarring scenes which was, uh, you know, I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah, they could have made a killing with some, like, uh, bathtub eggnog mugs, you know. That would have well, been they the did, way Well, they go. got candles. Uh, um, not quite good enough. I um, need an eggnog mug. <laughs> I, I did see in one video um, before the movie, she had her and her family take shots out of bathtub shot glasses we and like then let the 
and the parents were like, why out of bathtubs? And she's like, like, you'll see, see, you'll see. see. So uh, that was probably my favorite one that I saw. Um, This has a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes on 279 reviews, which for, uh, you know, how kind of divisive this has been, I feel like that's a pretty solid, that Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think it is one of those movies that kind of proved to be weirdly controversial, which I'm sure we'll kind of talk about did that or didn't it kind of affect our perception of the movie. Uh, But it is kind of weird how this film took fire uh, the way that it did. And there was uh, so much discourse around this film. And I personally don't think that the movie warrants it, but we'll get into it. (laughs) And uh, so what do you think the Letterboxd average rating is? I think that the people on Letterboxd probably were more favorable to this. Um, So I will say that this is probably at a 3.3? 3.5. That was close. Um, An even 7 out of 10 for the voice of the people. And I mean, it was watched a lot. It, you know, entered in yeah. to like the top whatever. I, think most I saw watched. today it was like 1.3, 1.5 million, something like that. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, people have been watching this movie. They have been talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, let's get your thoughts here first uh, since this was my pick. Um, but yeah, so uh, taking back to the first time you watched Saltburn and uh, yeah, how that conversation kind of affected you. Well, I was really excited to see this film because uh, I was very, uh, very much so impressed with uh, Fennell's prior work. Uh, and especially with Promising Young Woman, uh, was one of my favorite movies of that year. So I was really stoked to see this. It touted an awesome cast. Uh, and I had a chance to see this at one of those like AMC member screenings. That So it was like a week or so before it was like mm-hmm. publicly released. So I got to see this film pretty fresh. The, the infamy and the talk and the discourse hadn't happened yet. <laughs> I was saved from that. Went and saw the film. And I had a good time. I thought it was a lot of fun. I had lots of laughs. I thought that this movie was um, messy, but in like a hot mess, fun kind of way. I I think that there is a lot to really like about the film, but I also think that it's also just kind of a a silly, slutty good time. Uh, I don't think that it is quite the shocking, uh, the, the, the shocking, seething kind of commentary that some people see it to be, but I also don't think it's the totally uh, uh you know kind of boring and rote film that a lot of people kind of see this to be just parodying other movies so there's such a binary with this film where people are like oh you guys are wusses this movie's not that shocking and then there's so many other people that seem to really you know think that this movie has something and i'm kind of in the middle i think it's fine <laughs> um i i hate to be that guy in the podcast but it's not that deep um <laughs> i i think that this movie again is meant to be taken a bit more at face value than i think that some mm-hmm. people are making it out to be um it's an a silly kind of cheesy erotic thriller it's horny let movies be silly and dumb sometimes uh and i think that this one certainly is that um i'm more interested to kind of see what this film like the history of this movie will become because i i could see that this is a kind of a benchmark movie for a lot of people i could see a lot of people who were like you know 15 16 17 you know at right now and then 10 years from now they'd be like oh it's fucking salt burn that was when it you know that was my sexual awakening so i feel like the impact of this movie is going to be felt further down the road and i am curious to see kind of where this sits at me at that point you know once all the discourse is passed and everything because 
I, I think I will appreciate this movie more. It's just at this time, I'm just kind of like, will everyone shut the fuck up about <laughs> Saltburn, please? So I'm glad to be adding to that is what I'm saying. I mean, I live for these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love a divisive movie that just, you know, that's that's my thing in movies. I want them to make me feel something and have this compulsion to be able to have these conversations. Uh, this, like, took me back to... 2017 when Mother came out. You remember how fun Twitter was when Mother came out? Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, man. It was such a good time because people, you know, were on each side of the fence so strongly with, like, a slim majority being, like, in the middle with it. Sure. And, yeah, so there's the conversation of, like, oh, how shocking is this? And I hate the, the like, weird gatekeeping that there's been of being, like, oh, you really think this is shocking? Have you seen blah, blah, And it's just, like, fuck off. Like, Have you seen Cannibal Holocaust? Now you sound pretentious, even though you're trying to make fun of people for that like this being pretentious. You sound even more pretentious when you're, like, gatekeeping like that. So, like, I think that's ridiculous. Like, some people, yeah, this might be some of the wildest things, and it's also... Uh, this is almost a mainstream film. So I think yeah. for, you know, like when you put it in that context, of course, like, you know, uh, cinephiles that, you know, love Ken Russell movies and shit, like, of course, like this isn't that fucking crazy, you know, but, you know, for the masses to get, uh you know, exposed to something like this and for as many people to get to see a weird film like this. Yeah. I love that, you know, and you know, for like you said, for like some of the younger ones, like this is going to be like that movie that they look back on. That's like that kind of rewired my brain and the way that I kind of watch movies. And that's, that's fucking wholesome. Here's the thing. Saltburn is bankrolled by, Amazon Prime. This is like an Amazon Prime movie. This isn't some like niche fucked up art house film no. like When Evil Lurks like we just talked about. I think that again this is kind of a bit more for the masses, which is again kind of my frustration with the film is a lot of people don't seem to be meeting the movie where it's at. It's this kind of expectation of where it should mm-hmm. be or where it shouldn't be or or assuming where Fennell was coming yeah. from, you know, like people again like you were saying like it's not that deep. This is here to have it's messy people doing messy shit and yeah. having a slutty fun time with it, but a lot of people want to put the the readings on like yeah, of course there is uh you know some ideas of class at play here, but there is no, you know, like Fennell is, you know, comes from that, you know, background so it's like she's not trying to make a uh because people are like oh how can you make an eat the rich movie if you come from a rich background Mm -hmm. it's like on one hand i think you still do need to be able to tell those stories from the other angle and somebody taking accountability from you know kind of where they came from but at the same time that's not really what this movie was here to do it's her playing in this gothic fantasy uh that she you know used to read about in books like that's literally yeah. like you know the main thing behind this and it's a you know it's a work of passion as you can see with the filmmaking behind it i mean it's fucking gorgeous the yeah. score uh fantastic cast all across the board i mean and it's just a it's a fun good time you know mm-hmm. you can turn this on you can fucking uh laugh at the you know ridiculous quotes throughout the film uh but there is still some you know there is still um, some some questions and some introspective that you can have when you're watching this as well, but is as deep as uh, people want, think the movie thinks it is or yeah. how deep they also think it is. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, I think that there's definitely depth there, which we'll uh, absolutely be talking about, especially in regards to to class and character. I don't think that this movie is like, you know, as thin as the script that it was, you know, uh, printed on, but I think that there it again needs to be somewhat of a middle ground and i just don't think that the temperature of film discourse right now allows for much of that uh so of course movies like this are going to be controversial because everything again has to be 
binary nowadays but i mean i want to go back and like you know where people did people watch wild things and be like mm, this isn't deep enough like you know, know like you know like yeah. and this is kind of that for for a, a new group of people um so yeah the the conversations have been all over the place i've been a proud salt burner uh, i've had uh numerous tweets like i i uh this past year i you know i'm never big on having like viral tweets i had a few like ones that like really popped off and like four of them were because of Saltburn, yeah, you know, like so like it the was, conversation it was about this film has kind of been everywhere. You know, songs are again like on, you know, the charts yep. that came out like 20, 30 years ago. So, yeah, this movie really seems to have captured people. But I'm excited to kind of dive in and maybe get to the bottom of why. Yeah. And do you want to hit a 60 second synopsis? Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess you might not even need the 60 seconds. Let's go. Got you on the clock in three, two. One, go. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to one Mr. Oliver Quick. Uh, no, he's not some second-rate, you know, superhero. Uh, Oliver Quick is the protagonist of uh, Saltburn. Uh, this kid who is mysterious, uh, who is duplicitous, who kind of weasels his way into the Catton family. Um, that is this very rich, old-money family. Uh, he spends an entire summer with this family, and it's about him interacting with everybody who kind of comes in, in and out of this family's life, including uh, the staff who works there, other friends who are living there, uh, as well as uh, some family members, too. Uh, Oliver kind of tries to weasel his way deeper and sink his claws deeper into this family, which does um, kind of have to force some other people <laughs> out the door, so to speak. So, uh, Saltburn. <laughs> And yeah, it, it again like this does when you when you you know read the synopsis, it does kind of play on the like you know just because we've gotten so many of like these eat the rich films over the past uh, few years or so, mm -hmm. um, and so it, like it kind of reads a little similar in that, and then it also does kind of <clears throat> read a little similar to a lot of erotic thrillers of you know somebody that infiltrates you know people's lives and you know these crimes of passion. Uh, that come about. So uh, what are some of these subgenre uh, elements that stick out the most for you? Well, the Eat the Rich is definitely uh, almost a subgenre in and of itself nowadays. Uh, obviously, just politically, that's just what the world is kind of, it's it's on everybody's mind uh, as class nowadays. And I think that this film uh, certainly would be within that canon of movies about class mobility and uh, those of us who try to maybe you know climb up the social ladder as it were um, but I think that this movie also doesn't get a, enough credit of kind of being this single location thriller like mm -hmm. after they leave the college the entire film is set on Saltburn like yeah there's you know a scene where they do leave but for the most part it is set in this manner and I think that this film does such a great job of uh, breaking up the manor in a lot of different locations, uh, you know, in or around the property, uh, you know, which makes for a lot of, uh, you know, uh, mystery where it's such a big house. People can kind of sneak around a little bit more unnoticed as opposed to, you know, maybe a, 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 a modern apartment or something. Mm -hmm. This place is, you know, fucking Batman probably lives down the street. So, uh, you know, a character is able to go off into a maze or into the woods and kind of, you know, uh, skirt around unnoticed. Yeah, it it definitely yeah lends itself well to the single location thriller aspect because it is you know kind of so sprawling. I like that this is a movie. This is you know a, a hangout movie. Like you you go and you hang out in this world. You know mm -hmm. it's a it's a nice you know two hour ten two fifteen, uh, which for me I think is a really nice uh, length for this type of movie. I saw a lot of people say it's too long, um, and maybe a little ten minutes off the finale could be shaved off. We'll get to that. 
Um, but not for pacing reasons, just because it sucks. <laughs> just because it's yeah, kind of not necessary. Um, but um, but as far as again, like just being able to kind of hang out in this world, like you know, like whenever I talk about this movie, when I talk about rewatch, I'm like, I'm going back to Saltburn because I yeah. want to be transported, uh, kind of back to this estate as well. Um, and yeah, obviously it has uh, some bones in the erotic thriller camp, which is what we're going to be talking about next month and uh, how erotic thrillers kind of fit under the horror umbrella. Yeah. Um, or but does it, which I'm sure a lot of people or also does be it? asking if this film even, t- I mean, talk about subgenre, is horror even one of them? I think a lot of people, you know, yes. are probably clicking on this episode and going, huh? Yes, I, I put, I remember I put a poll out the first time I watched it and it was, uh, I put yes, no, or why not? Uh, and a mm. lot of people just went with the why not. They're open to interpretation. And uh, for me, um, this uh, kind of stewed on my brain a lot as I you know, grew to love this film. And that's how I wrote my article for Dread Central on uh, selling this as uh, not only just an erotic thriller, but this is a haunted house film mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, haunted house without ghosts, though, uh, is kind of not s- literal ghosts. Uh, not there literal are some ghosts. Kind of like mention ghosts. Yes. And there's a few different scenes of exactly. apparitions or somebody walks by a window or something like that. Yes. It, I mean, it, ghosts are memories, you know, mm-hmm. and like this house holds all these memories. It holds all this history. Um, the previous, you know, people that Felix and the family have brought in and have come in and out. Uh, you know, even Pamela, as soon as she leaves, she dies, you know, like a few weeks later. Um, so and and even in the way that the house is presented, especially the way it changes uh, from being, you know, very warm and rich and luxurious in the daytime. But then mm-hmm. at night, it's all lit with fog and the moonlight and it takes on this uh, more gothic identity yeah. uh, at night. And Saltburn kind of has this quality of making people go crazy. That's like one of the, the tag- taglines for the film. Uh, uh, this place will make you lose your mind, you know, yeah. and uh, we um, when we talked about possession films, uh, we kind of mentioned that of, you know, a house or an area kind of having this impact on somebody and bringing out this darkness within them, you know, because uh, Oliver definitely had his plans and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as he gets to the house his plans have to change and unfold because he, you know, can't, you know, kind of control these primal urges that he's having as he's trying to enact this master scheme of his. Yeah. Either that, or he is just sort of enticed by this, this, you know, I think just a different, uh, something else is being dangled in front of his face. I think before when he first meets Felix, he just sees him as this, a uh, magnet, you know, a, a literal chick magnet. There's a great scene to where he, this guy is like talking to this girl on the couch and he just walks over and, is and like, just grabs her hand hey, and then they leave. And the guy's like, well, I've been talking to her all night long. And the other guy is like, yeah, have a fucking title in a that, mansion. And see, that was me. That which, was me at the bar, <laughs> which I think is exactly, though, what Oliver kind of sees is, oh, he's got a title and he's got a mansion, which equals attention. Because when we first meet Oliver, he's an outcast. He's a pariah. His only friend is this human calculator who screams at him at dinner to to give him uh, a a math problem so he can solve it which is a great scene but he sees Felix as this kind of golden boy and this golden boy who is surrounded with people and friends uh, at least that's kind of what he perceives so I think that it is not just this desire for money but the attention that comes with money and power Yeah, and I also made, I mean, there's a line to it later as well, but I made an illusion of um, 
of uh, Oliver, he's obviously kind of a femme fatale mm-hmm. in as far as like the erotic thriller angle goes. Yeah. Um, but as far as like, you know, staying in the horror realms, you know, there's the you know scene where he calls himself a vampire. Yeah. And I find that particularly interesting because like when he's first courting Felix in the school and they're having their bonding and stuff like he's kind of a familiar at that point. Like he's, you know, kind of he's, you know, underneath Felix's wing and, you know, kind of benefiting from his presence Felix's and things wing. like that. Wow, the costume at the end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he, he kind of is a familiar at first, and then as yeah. he uh, gets ingrained in Saltburn, he kind of uh, indulges in these, you know, you know monstrous sure. desires that, you know, he has these he- hedonistic qualities that, you know, he kind of learns to embrace, you know, the more time he spends at Saltburn around the family. So yeah. um, there's something like that as well. And uh, this movie is fucking hilarious. It's a black comedy with uh, some of that social cringe horror as well. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the lunch scene after Felix's funeral is one of my favorite scenes in the film it's so fucking so funny great. rosamund so pike deserved a nomination for this comedic performance because she is every single line that she yeah. utters is perfection this movie is so damn funny yeah it's hilarious uh and in regards to the genre i do want to talk about that scene but in regards to the the different genres here obviously like you mentioned comedy is there this is also an erotic thriller i i think it's understandable why a lot of people are kind of like is this a horror movie because it seems to be sort of diluted by so many different subgenres. but i think ultimately you just kind of have to ask yourself do you consider thrillers horror movies then if the answer is no then of course this isn't but a lot of people do i consider thrillers in the subgenre of horror and erotic thrillers are in the subgenre of thrillers so uh, i think it's a horror movie by sort of several different degrees and you uh, know just oliver murdering three different people as well that too that too uh, <laughs> also helps but you know murder does happen in movies that are not are not horror so murder i guess doesn't necessarily immediately describe i think there's it, enough darkness here though definitely to, to be able to make a you know argument for it as well as like again like the the gothic elements as far as it being a gothic drama it kind of mm-hmm. gives this uh element of camp to the film as well yeah. uh, you know we love our camp around here yeah um but uh, yeah let's talk about our femme fatale here oliver quick played by a little weirdo extraordinaire barry keoghan i love when he just plays a little freak and boy does he in this movie <laughs> i mean it, it, this is such an evolution from the killing of a sacred deer one of my favorite films yeah uh i absolutely love that thing and i've been enamored by him ever since that film mm-hmm. And uh, he, you know, he's just got the weird sauce, you know, he, he, sure he really knows how to bring it. And he is fully weaponized in this film of, you know, he has this, you know, like awkward charm to him. But he's also like, you know, he's very fit. He's a good looking guy, but he dresses bad in the film. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, all these like little things and just, you know, the way that the darkness kind of comes out uh, throughout the film. But then when you also watch on rewatch too in the earlier scenes, the way he reacts to certain things and knowing where he, you know, what Oliver's actual intentions were and where he actually came from, it makes him even more of a fucking weirdo. Like he's a, you know, total sociopath. Yeah. And um, obviously a lot of people have uh, compared this to Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, which we both watched before. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was such a big part of the conversation that it almost it required really was. for us to do this episode. It was, yeah, a lot of people, you know, oh, it, it walks so Saltburn can run, all these yeah. things. And the, the biggest difference between um, between Tom and Oliver is um, Tom may have uh, maybe a little bit more uh, talented and has his, like, kind of, you one, know, one might uh, say, yeah. <laughs> uh, his, you know, his skills and things like that. Yeah. Oliver has sheer will. 
And that's what gets him to a more successful ending than Tom mm-hmm. does, because Tom's a horny dumbass, is what he is. Yeah. You know, like, even though Oliver is kind of uh, getting off his plan a little bit, he's still pretty focused into, you know, the end goal. And he, yeah. he does will himself wait. Uh, to you know his ultimate goals versus Tom is a fucking doofus that just keeps yeah. burying himself deeper and deeper and doing things he doesn't need to because he can't decide who he wants to fuck more mm-hmm. you know so it's like you know at the end of the day uh, Oliver uh, it, you know through sheer will he 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 pushed through and he made it yeah I think Oliver is definitely also more of a menace character he seems much more of like a malignant kind of figure versus Tom who you're right he kind of just stumbles and trips his way through the entire He's like trying to clean himself up. Exactly. He he just gets himself in too deep, and I do think that there is a a menace to him, of course, but I think that Oliver is just like a far more malicious character that is, from the very beginning, scheming and lying and trying to weasel his way into the family, where I feel that Tom, uh, of course, lies, but it almost seems like he's... uh, he doesn't have the plan that Oliver did. Everything is is happening to Oliver's plan, where Tom is just sort of like, "Oh shit, what have I done?" The, you know, the the ice is melting around. But me. Tom even still had moments where he could have got out, and then he still made the decision to like keep yeah. doing dumber stuff. But yes, as far as being malicious, like yeah, Tom wasn't setting out to murder. Uh, yeah. They just kind of happened. Yeah. Um. But then yeah, Oliver kind of has this entire plan. And the only thing that changes throughout is at one point he thinks he can win Felix over, you know, Mm because I think at the very beginning he had no intentions, but he was, you know, enticed, uh, you know, by the these kind of, you know, feminine wiles, the the um, uh, what's the word i'm looking for for smell smell uh, the the uh pheromones oh, yeah there you go uh he, he you know he's uh he's kind of you know enraptured by that and then he kind of thinks okay maybe i don't need to take the estate for myself yeah. felix i can't convince him to be in love with me and we can work this out but then that still doesn't work either you know so it's like but he's he's tempted at different points because again like this kind of allure of the lifestyle and of saltburn and the kind of, you know, effect that it has on him yeah. uh, changes him uh, slightly, you know, uh, off path. But at the end of the day, like, you know, he he still is, yeah, like you said, he is malicious enough to be like, nope, okay, I need to know what I need to do to get done, and I'm going to do it, you know. But, like, you know, it, the, the, the path along the way is uh, was a, l- a lot more interesting to me. Yeah, I, I think the comparison between the two films as far as quality is just uh, not quite, it's no contest for me talented mr ripley is i enjoy that film way more mm-hmm. than i enjoyed this but i just think to me the, the conversation doesn't need to be a comparison because i do think that the movies are quite different i actually think that they're really complimentary because like really saltburn only takes like maybe stuff from the first like 45 minutes of mr ripley when i was watching this i was like saltburn is like the first half of this movie the rest of it is him trying to fucking cover up this mystery and emerald Fennell spent five minutes on roseman pike's deathbed you know him explaining uh, you know how he got away with it so yeah I think talented Mr. Ripley it's like if you turned it off the first you know halfway through and you're like oh it's just like Saltburn where there's uh, you know nearly an hour and probably some change left of that film I would say yeah definitely I mean so. there's definitely some homages too I mean obviously yeah. I think like I mean even the bathtub scene itself I feel is like kind of a, a, a shadow homage to the to yeah. the I mean, do you, you know, uh, bath time chess matches with the boys, you know, we, the we, we love that. So yeah. it's like uh, that between versus like kind of Oliver having his moment of the bathtub of them not, you know, uh, 
having that moment together and it kind yeah. of exemplifies the 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 yearning that Oliver has uh to a degree because he really is fighting it. He doesn't want to fall for Felix because mm-hmm. if he does it's going to fuck up his thing, but he wants to so bad, you know. So there's like a distance with so it's like there's a, a, a I think there's like a couple like little homages and like kind of their bonding yeah. Uh, uh, sequences a little bit, but uh, yeah. uh, but no, I'm not gonna say that like Emerald Fennell fucking ripped the movie off no. or anything like that. I would say yeah to put a pin in the the comparisons between the two, and I actually think it could be a more substantive. I could definitely give more specific examples, but I just think in regards to character, what the movie has to say about class, in regards to genre, they're very different movies. They also just look very different. So I think that they are only similar in the basic plot of. A poor guy tries to kind of lie and cheat his way to success, and he uses, you know, this kind of imposter, you know, completely fake double life in order to do so. But I think the similarities, in my opinion, kind of stop there. I actually think that the movies are quite different, but I'm glad that I did watch it, you know, because I think there is a conversation to be had. Maybe that could be like a Patreon episode or something, you know, Mm -hmm. how these movies are different. But I think, yeah, as far as Oliver and his relationship with Felix, you know, the movie starts off with him literally telling the camera, I loved him, but no, I didn't, but I did. You know, I, I think that there is this conversation with Oliver in sort of this made up audience of what exactly his relationship or his perception of Felix is, which I think is understandable why a lot of people are leaving this movie wondering, did he or didn't he love Felix, which I think is very intentionally what Emerald Fennell is wanting the conversation to be rather than, oh, how did he get away with it? How did he do all of these things? Which I think is why that last scene is there. I think it is her intentionally saying, don't look over here. That's not important. I think what you're really asking is about Oliver and his motivations as a character and how does he perceive Felix rather than the specifics of how he got away with it all. I hate that scene. I think it completely <laughs> ruins a lot of the mystery of the character because I think that you can have both. I, I think that that's a bit where I bump up with this movie is that I think that that scene is kind of the pretentiousness that I think a lot of people are feeling with this movie and, uh, Fennell, you know, in her class, I think doesn't help from a lot of that. But I do think that particularly towards like the last 15 to 20 minutes of the film, it does talk down to the audience a lot. And specifically as it relates to Oliver as his as a character, his motivations, how he went about all of it. I just don't think it's super necessary. And having a conversation like this just feels a bit more hollow. It doesn't feel like as rich as it possibly could be had those last like 15 minutes been shaved off because I'm just kind of like there is no debate for me. That's why I'm a bit confused of why people are really hemming and hawing about mm-hmm. this film because I'm like it seems pretty fucking clear you know cut and dry to me <laughs> yeah I think I, I mean yeah the the ending it definitely it makes the unreliable narrator lacked any more impact because it mm-hmm. it's only there to also set up the framing device at the beginning of the movie as well yeah. on like this whole narration thing and again I think it could have been another stylistic homage uh, to wild things where they do it but they do it over the credits so the movie is technically ended but then if you watch the credits it explains like how uh nev camel's character like unfolded her whole scheme and so it's like a you know and maybe if she would have went that route of made it a little two minute montage or something you know over the credits of the movie rather there be this whole kind of 15 20 minute uh, kind of epilogue for yeah. for the film. Um, I think yeah, definitely 
might have worked a little bit better. Um, because yeah, it I at no point was I ever like doubting that Oliver yeah, did this. You everybody know, everybody like, fucking we, dies like, as he know. shows up. Of course, he killed everybody. We all know. <laughs> yeah. So there's no there's no surprise there. And, and maybe it is like you were saying, like, no, you are sitting here thinking like, oh, did he love Felix or was yeah. this all a part of the plan? And I think it's also the film can have both. Like, I think at one point he was in love with him, but he, you know, kind of worked past that to, you know, again, kind of get back to his plan. And, and and that being the objective all along. Yeah. Um. You know, so but again, I think it also. Uh, it still lends itself well on a rewatch because then you're kind of again like watching that first act with a whole different uh, mm-hmm. uh, ass, uh, look to it. Um, so so I mean yeah I I don't hate it but I don't love it either. Yeah. I think it could have been even like a little like one minute like super fast like montage. Yeah. You like see it like oh shit he he did pop the tire oh he, oh he did like mm-hmm. you know some of some of those little things maybe but at the same time uh, it definitely wasn't necessary. I definitely don't think it's necessary and I do agree that the first sort of half of this film in my opinion everything pre Felix's death I think is really interesting. I think once Felix dies especially on a rewatch not so much the first time but on a rewatch I just was not engaged like once Felix died the rest of the film was kind of like I don't need to watch the rest I already mm. kind of know what happens uh, and it, I it, it didn't feel as rewarding whereas the first half you're you're exactly what you were talking about when you're asking yourself okay at what point did Oliver's motivations change and you're trying to track his as well as everybody else as far as did Oliver love Felix I think that the movie is confidently saying yes he did but not in like a romantic I love him I want to spend the rest of my life sort of way in my opinion I think it is far more Mm. this I love him because how he makes me feel how uh, he makes other people see me like there is this renowned sort of confidence when Oliver is with Felix and I think that this film is specifically about this person this weasel who completely is blinded by their pursuit of money and power and climbing up this capitalist change that they completely abandon the person that they are along the way. I don't think that this movie is Emerald Fennell like kicking the middle class back down and how dare you try to to reach for a, a higher status. I think it is about this kind of unchecked greed, you know, and seeing, you know, how you can uh lie and cheat your way to achieving this power i think it's purely about that kind of capitalistic sort of navigation not so much this romantic oh you and i can rule saltburn together i think he just kind of sees him as a means to an end i don't know i think i think he i think he did have an idea like again like i think the initial planning no like you know all the stuff in the college like when they're bonding that is still kind of a means to an end mm-hmm. but again it changes when he actually enters the world of felix and then he becomes you know like a little bit more in rapture and he does i think have this idea of like maybe they're in a in there maybe there is a scenario where i can let felix live and we can actually be together and he has, he has again you're you're not slurping your homies jizz if you just because of the way he makes you feel about you no that like there's between there yeah. not only that but a lot of just you know a lot of the gazing and then the jealousy that comes from it whenever you know um 
whenever, uh, you know, Farley's coming around and he's trying to push him around. Or uh, even Venetia, he even kind of is weirdly jealous of her in a way, even though they're brother and sister. But he yeah. even still sees it as a, a taking away of attention. And it's not until Felix, you know, outright scorns him and tells him, like, no, 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 this is not the way it is. That's when he's like, okay, now I'm, it's completely out of my mind. And that's when he kicks the plan back into overdrive. Fucking, sure. he, he follows through. He kills Felix. He sticks around. He fucking does all the shit with the family. And then, like, he and he's, like, almost doing it to spite Felix at that point now to be like, oh, okay, you know what? There was a point where maybe I wasn't going to be as malicious as I was originally planning because of you. But now, since you turned me away, I'm no mercy after this. Yeah, I, I could definitely see an argument for both. And I think that that's why this part of the movie is, is the most rich and the most interesting conversation to be had as far as, like, his motivations and what he feels internally rather than the specificities of when did he pop his tire? You know, at what point did, you know, Mm -hmm. he do this specific thing? I think Oliver as a character in his relationship with Felix, I think it's very wise of Fennell to like have that be the focus of the movie because it is really the most compelling part. And I think especially is the most rewarding upon rewatches because I could see both. I really could see an, an argument, for, for those both being true, and I think that's precisely the, the point. Yeah, I mean, I I, and I told, uh, I like to say that uh, she was uh, cinematically edging us for this entire movie, because they don't kiss. No. We, we, we want them to so bad. Their faces, even gay? Their faces know, get so close. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think so at all i think he is just a very comfortable hetero boy uh mm. you know i i don't see that as at all but again you know we kind of have you know oliver as a the bisexual menace uh kind of <laughs> u- using his yeah. uh his wiles and things like that and Fennel uh kind of you know um approached each of these uh characters like from like a gothic literature archetype so yeah. like he's like the the wandering stranger uh she uh describes um uh, Venetia as the desperate sister, uh, Farley as the jealous rival, um, and and Farley's character I think brings in a lot of I, what I find somewhat interesting about uh more of the class and money angles in this because the only reason I'm hesitant to say this isn't Eat the Rich film because they're not portraying the Cotton family as villains they're portraying them as uh absurdly aloof. Yeah. They are absurdly aloof at, you know, that their lifestyle is different than the way that other people do. I guess do. it just depends on how you perceive rich people, because to me, they are villains precisely because of that. But what? Because they just, that's, I mean, they're old money. They've always had this. Yeah. So, like, what is, like, yes, they, uh you know, kind of the way that they talk about their guests behind their back and yeah, kind of yeah. view certain things. But at the same time, like, they're just kind of willfully ignorant like they're just like yeah this is because they are they live in the world of saltburn they don't live in the real world with us and i don't see any like malicious uh you know intent from any of the things they do i just see them as they're just fucking dumb like they and they like uh, to a very cartoonish level so like i don't see them doing anything in this film that warrants what they got you know so like because i like as much as i love watching oliver be a bisexual menace uh am i rooting for him sure not necessarily yeah. you know like because i'm like they really didn't do anything and like then when you realize the background that he came from as well that he's not poor he's like middle class he has money he has mm-hmm. a family his parents aren't crackheads um but he wants more you know and like that's where he still remains the villain because it's like he's not appreciative of what he has 
and it's but it's also a very human emotion to have like we just naturally do desire more you know in our lives like yeah you might have something but like you could have something better and why wouldn't you want that something better so it's he he's complicated in that way and then when you like juxtapose him with farley who is uh felix's cousin that like he's still in the family but he's in the family through marriage and like so he's still not even looked at as like oh, you are, like, truly, uh, you know, of this world, but he still believes he is, but he is still in a better position than Oliver. So it's like their uh, kind of uh, dichotomy is interesting. Well, I think that, I don't know, to me, I, I think that Oliver and him and what he is willing to do to himself and how he's willing to degrade himself, which is established really early on in the film with the bike sequence. I really like that sequence, not because I'm like, oh, see, he was planning it all along. But I like that if you watch Felix, he really does have this attitude of like, oh, well, if only somebody had a bike, you know, and Oliver's like, well, you can use mine and you can go to class. Meanwhile, now he's stuck, you know, walking all the way back with with this bike, establishing that he is willing to degrade himself in order to kind of get closer to Felix or get closer to wealth and to power. I think that Oliver is, again, pursuing all of these things in a very capitalist framework to, to the point that he completely drops out of you know presumably school he's not pursuing his education mm. anymore he was seemingly like a really bright kid uh but you know yeah obviously an outcast but now he's just this dumb himbo that like this family is yeah might not be evil might not be deserving death but i think that they are definitely culpable just in a different way so would you would you say that you could look at this as Again, not Oliver meticulously planning and causing all these events, but him setting them up and them allowing it to happen. Definitely, yeah. And I think that the 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 like the staff who works there is really an example of that. And this is probably um, my favorite scene is the the egg like breakfast scene. Uh, it's really funny and it's really s- silly, but. <laughs> Um, as somebody who works at like a, a brunch like diner place, you know, the fact that he orders over easy eggs and then they bring him the eggs and he goes, oh, I don't like runny eggs. They make me sick. As somebody who works at a restaurant immediately clocked that as then why the fuck did you order uh, over easy eggs? That's like the runniest eggs you could possibly get. And well, I they came sunny scene. side up there. Is- they came sunny side they up. Did. They, but, they did, but he. I went back and he ordered them over easy. So they they not yeah. only came out wrong, but he also ordered them wrong. Yes. But I think more importantly, that scene, if you look at like the butler guy, he kind of looks at him like thinking, then why the fuck did you do that? And I think that that scene is exactly what you were talking about to where sort of the, the help, for a lack of better words, kind of gives him the side eye. And when he gets kicked out, they're all there to like wave him goodbye the people who are in the working class are more aware of their surroundings where in that breakfast scene, nobody says anything. You think that they would pipe up and mention something, but everybody just kind of is, uh, you know, preoccupied with their own, uh, you know, mm-hmm. their like that, that sense of privilege. Well, and I'll say this could, I guess, be a somewhat villainous scene of because they, they also don't they set him up because it was like at dinner, everything was served for him. Everything was brought to him. Everything was perfect yeah. versus 
it's, he assumed that's how breakfast worked. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 you do it yourself. Yeah. But no, you don't do the eggs. They do the eggs. So yeah. it's like they did kind of set them up. Uh, I've been in that situation where I've been like spend the night at a friend's house and like they have like, you know, like a bigger house and like all this shit. And it's yeah. like. Though it was like, oh, yeah, like at, at my house, we have snacks at, you know, afternoon time and in the evening time versus, yeah. oh, I can go to your place and just have whatever I want. Especially you know? if you ever like hung out with like a rich friend when you exactly. were younger. You went over to their house. You're like, God, they got a big ass pantry. <laughs> Tons oh, of food yes, in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think that, yeah, Oliver's uh, character really is this kind of uh, scheming, you know, figure who is constantly observant that's like one of his biggest traits is that he notices everything farley's cigarettes that he that he smokes you know he is down in the rings exactly and so i think when you watch this movie you have to imagine that everything that he says is calculated and is precise and i think that that scene is a real example of him sort of testing the culpability of everybody around him and i think that it is really this give a mouse a cookie because i think had he shown up and they brought out the wrong quote-unquote wrong eggs i don't think that he really would have said anything i think that he is kind of how much can i get away with here and then continuing to push that and push that to the point where it leads the end of the film to where he's literally dancing on their graves i mean and this is again like very very uh you know like old literature drama like ooh yes a a, a most dubious breakfast scene <laughs> as we set up the character and yeah. he you know becomes more angry and and again he uh you know he kind of has these fish out of water moments and he's kind of uh i guess lulling them in a way to like kind of let them again like show their true colors on like how they treat someone in this situation when he's just kind of buying time at this mm-hmm. point um which then like uh i say the transformation starts um, again, like the, like um, whenever he is given the tuxedo, they have the dinner scene, um, uh, and this is uh, uh, where he is, you know, start saying shit to Elsbeth whenever they're having the martinis, and then this is what leads into uh, uh, him seducing uh, Venetia. Um, and again, like this is where he like really kind of starts feeling like a femme fatale to me because mm. he is using his sexual prowess to like kind of manipulate the the pieces on the board, you know, so like. He knows that Venetia has a habit of, you know, going after the people that Felix brings home. So he's kind of using that to stir up some drama. He also does the same thing with Farley later whenever he's like, you know, Farley uh, accosts him and like embarrasses him. And then he, you know, uses his sexuality to kind of try to put Farley back in his place as well. So what do you think about um, these uh, interactions and kind of the way that he uses his sexuality? Well, I think that from the very beginning of the movie, there is this uh, this portrayal of Oliver as this person who is like very unsexy. He shows up to school. He's got a doofus haircut, bad glasses, and he doesn't dress well. You know, he reads all of the the summer reading before he gets to school, shows up to his tutoring session and is like, hey, I'm ready to go. Meanwhile, Farley shows up late. Uh, but because of the, the, you know, his family and this influence, he goes, oh, you knew my mom back in the day. And the, you know, the the tutor and him kind of bond over this. And I think in that scene, Oliver kind of looks at this guy, this guy who seemingly admired this woman uh, that he went to college with, in his words, from afar. And I think for me, that's when the transformation happens is Oliver looks at this guy 
and goes, well, I don't want to be like this fucking guy who is still at this college mm. 30 years from now and says, oh, hey, I knew your mom. Oh, no, we weren't we weren't friends. I didn't talk to her. I, w- I was from afar. And I think that that is really the moment. And even his little nerd, you know, human calculator friend says you look different. So I think throughout the film, he is constantly chipping away at this kind of uh, f- this this the 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 real Oliver to kind of uh, whittle it down to this facade. So I think that constantly throughout the film, he is uh, kind of seeing what he can get away with, you know, kind of discovering his own power sexually. I think about that scene in the field where everybody's naked and they tell him like to drop his pants and everybody's like, Oh, wow, Barry Keegan, he's got a big cock. Who knew? You know? And I think even in that scene to where he's kind of becoming more aware of how good looking or how handsome he is. And especially how, you know, being a good looking, charming, attractive person, what that can get you. So I think he definitely starts to weaponize that even before he gets to Salt Lake. Yes. Well, he, yeah, he starts, he starts picking up the clues for sure. And again, like this kind of can go into like, is this like vampire analog? Cause again, vampires are known for using their sexuality and things like that. And we literally get again, like this is him embracing it whenever he, you know, goes down on Venetia, says yeah. the line, Dude, uh, has, the, talk about the has line? the, has the blood dripping. Can we talk about the line? Do you, do you like the line? I know I you like this movie. Oh, I love it. I put oh, it in. On. I put it in my. I put it in my uh, most recent uh, letterbox oh, review. No. Whenever oh, he no. is that something you think I'm worried about? It's lucky for you. I'm a vampire. Dude, come on. Hey, <laughs> when, when you start throwing around that Universal Monsters Riz, I mean the girls they just they drop them. Well, they drop them. Yeah, that's, sure that's all it took. Yeah, the proof's in the pudding, I suppose. So yeah. I, I'm I'm a fan of the line. <laughs> I, I am a fan of the line, um, but it is very silly, and I I think there needs to be an admittance of that. Like if you yeah. like this line, there has to be like oh it's so stupid oh like, i mean okay. it, it is silly okay. the first <laughs> time i like the, i remember the first time i watched it, i was like did i hear that right see that's you what know? i'm saying like, is was, i just i don't know if people are because it's because like, it's also him thinking like he he's like this is he's what a cool sexy, sexy guy yes. would say <laughs> yes he th- he in his mind he thought that was the sexiest shit possible yeah. venetia was a little bit more confused but like kind of wrapped up in the moment so she just let it slide you know mm-hmm. um uh, you know the when those baby blues say something like that i mean you kind of just let it go i guess yeah i think <laughs> that he is really telling everybody exactly what he thinks that they want to hear even in that like scene when he goes back to his parents house he's telling them he's like oh i'm in sports i'm in extracurriculars like i'm the top of my class he's telling them all the the things that the parents would want to hear and i think that consistently you know everybody that he interacts with at saltburn he is just how can i play them like a fiddle yeah which is which again i think that plays into him with farley because after Farley humiliates him with the the karaoke song, and he's been you know kind of uh, chipping away at him throughout mm-hmm. the film, which uh, by the way, the karaoke <laughs> song, the guy that was singing before uh, was killing it. They were like oh. making fun of the guy, but he was crushing. It. I mean, that's what you do with it. if you're gonna do a uh, low by flow rider and T Pain. Uh, that's how you got to do it. I mean, he brought the he brought the energy. Yeah, and, I yeah. was cheering for him. I was like, yeah, encore. <laughs> uh, and again, this the social cringe horror, just a uh, super fun watching his yeah. wife uh, talk shit about him and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like you know, Farley's been chipping away at him. Uh, I did you see on Twitter? I was like, I was like, oh yeah, young Philip Seymour Hoffman would have made a great Farley. Yeah, because uh, that's essentially uh, Freddie's character. Oh and, man, uh, I could Mr. I could Ripley. wax poetic about uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> what what a what a guy, what a role. <laughs> and so 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 Oliver thinks he can sway Farley. He's like, okay, like yeah, but like we're also kind of they they both try to 
Oliver tries to be like, hey, we're a little bit more similar than you think. I've noticed, you know, what, mm-hmm. what the real power dynamic is. And then he tries to, you know, take back uh, power by literally topping Farley yeah. and being like, you're going to be good, huh? All these things. And he thinks, like, you know, this is working on Farley. But then we see later that Farley's like, no, no, no. I've been playing this game much longer than yeah, you, and you exactly. can't outplay me, you know. So, like, you thought, but, hey, I'm not going anywhere because th- I live this shit. You don't. And I thought yeah. that, like, I th- I, I love that final conversation, or that not final conversation, but that conversation between them when they first get to the Halloween party and mm-hmm. Farley just lights his ass up. I'm like, ooh, he's, he's also a real bitchy bisexual, but. Yeah, that's kind of my boy in this movie, honestly. I think it's really essential that everybody but the Cattens is kind of uh, like just blissfully unaware of what's happening. I, I think that Felicia definitely is, uh, or not Felicia, what's her name? Venetia. Venetia also, also they all have ridiculous names. Very silly <laughs> names. Uh, I made fun of it earlier, but Oliver Quick, uh, Felix Catton. Like, come on, this is this is insane. This sounds like Downton Abbey. Um, but yeah, uh, 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 what was it again? Felicia? Venetia? Venetia. <laughs> Venetia. Uh, I think that she is a bit aware uh, or she becomes aware of like who Oliver really is. But I love that everybody but the the elite is uh, kind of keen into what's really happening here. Because, again, there is this sort of blissfully ignorant just kind of walking around. Oh, everything is wonderful. I've never known a summer as hot as this. You know, meanwhile, all of this chaos is happening around them. Yeah, I mean, and again, I mean, she and but she only ca- starts catching on because it's the moment where it's not, you know, uh, things aren't going the way that she thinks. Like, mm-hmm. she, because whenever she's like, oh, you are into me. Cool. And she's like all happy. She's, you know, obeying his commands at breakfast yeah. the next uh, morning, uh, all that shit, you know. Um, but as soon as whenever she's like, oh, I'm being used like how everybody else uses other people, that's mm-hmm. when she then is like on the lookout for more of these differences and yeah. starts catching on a little bit more. But until it, it there's a moment where the light's still shining on her, she she was also still, uh, you know, ready to remain blissfully unaware. Yeah. Um. So and then we have Elsbeth. Uh, we have uh, uh, the queen of Saltburn here. Again, just uh, so many of her quotes. I just want to put them up on like little posters. Uh, oh, and she's ah, I was a lesbian once. It was all too wet for me. Uh, like. Men are so lovely and dry. That's such a great, uh, such a great line. I think one of my favorite moments is when they're telling like the the ghost story, and she says, "Oh, that just gave me goosebumps." Pamela, look, and then Pamela goes, "Oh no!" Like, like that. She's like shocked that she got goosebumps. It's such a funny scene. Or, or whenever um, when Oliver first gets there, and Felix is like, "Oh, you have to remain cleanly shaven." Yeah. It's a weird thing with my mother, and she goes, "I have a complete and utter fear." of ugliness Incredible. is just uh she she's fantastic and um it, you know and she is kind of used as kind of the uh you know we only see like a couple scenes where like oliver thinks he can put the moves on her and she's kind of like mm, you know she's like kind of gives in but also not um in a way but then it's like kind of once after felix dies that's when he starts putting in the work on her of being the, the, the support, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, him and Felix were the same age, his last, like, close friend. So, like, he sees, you know, that's whenever he really starts to, like, dig his hooks in. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, her and, uh, I forget, uh, Richard, or not Richard Jenkins, uh, Richard E. Grant's, uh, James. James. Oh, so sir, he has, Sir a, James. He has an, oh, but he's a sir. I was about to say, he has a normal name, but he's yeah. a sir for no reason, most likely. Um, you know, and so the way that he kind of works them, uh, after Felix's death, one, I think um, there's a really like 
there's an awkward energy because you said like there's uh the movie kind of dies for you a little bit whenever felix does yeah um but then like even for this like little bit until we like get to the you know like final end of it mm-hmm. uh it even still works for me because it's like instilling this discomfort of like that awkwardness of like, Hey, why are you still here? Like you're like the person that's like, you know, still hanging around the party or, or, or that's happened before at like sleepovers, like a bunch of people come and sleep over and then one person hangs around until they're like, Hey, can I stay the night tonight too? Uh, and the next thing you know, it's just you and this person and it's the person in the friend group you didn't want to spend the night a second night. You know, yeah. So it's like it kind of has that specific vibe of like, why are you still here? And Farley's the yeah. only one asking these questions. But then Elsbeth is, you know, so blinded by the grief and everything. And uh, James is just trying to act like everything's normal. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that lunch scene where everything like turns red and he's just yelling at everybody. Farley and Venetia are like crying he's, into their soup. Eat the bloody pie. Yeah. Just yeah, screaming. Eat the, eat the bloody pie. pie. I love that scene. I love that detail them of them eating shepherd's pie. Uh, the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, that is traditionally made with lamb, I think is a really cool detail considering Felix just died the scene prior. Um, but I think that the Cattons, especially with, um, uh, Rosamund Pike and Richard E. Grant are like some of my favorite uh, bits of humor throughout the film. Uh, if you go back and watch uh, James realize that if this party happens, he could wear his knight armor. He is so excited. That scene gets a laugh <laughs> from me every time. He just goes, <gasps> I could wear my armor. You know, it's it's really funny. I love Richard E. Grant. But I really am compelled by uh, Elspeth this time because of like how she fits into the family. The fact that she like married into this mm-hmm. family, that she is not you know, blood. She's not born into this like, you know, Felix is. And so there is still kind of this, you know, is she also leeching onto this family too? And kind of what is the person that she's been turned into? So I do really think that there is this, again, degrees of separation from the wealth and how it impacts and ripples out and, you know, and impacts all of these relationships. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and again, like he, has to continue adapting on like trying to figure out how that works as well. And yeah, so it, it, it almost, you know, is a, you know, a little bit more tragic for Elizabeth if you think of it that way, if she also came from a similar background and then like the way that she's being, you know, leveraged in the, I mean, obviously it's already terrible that he's like, you know, faking, you know, caring for her when she's, you know, yeah. sick or whatever. For all we know, he's the one that made her sick, Probably, you know, that fast, yeah. you know, because yeah. it happened super quick. Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, you, you kind of feel even a little bit more bad if you kind of wonder like either a, did she come from a similar background or was she like also from a different aristocrat family and they like kind of joined their unions together that way. Uh, who knows, but it is, uh, it, 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 it's still fucked up. Uh, uh, poor Venetia also, uh, not having to go out that way, uh, was unfair after yeah. she is the one that like, at this point she's cracked the code, but she already knows that it's too late, you know, and it almost feels like she like kind of accepts it. Um, or did she even kill herself? You know, was it murder? Was there well, foul no, he, play? No, he murdered her. He, huh? he murdered her, but she still remained in the tub and like kind of accepted it. That's what I think makes it sucky and worse. Cause they should, they're in, in the montage, yeah. it shows Oliver putting the razor blade, oh, I see uh, on yeah. the, on the bathtub. Um, it, but I love that, like it, but she, you know, calls him out and she gets to like really let him have it. She says, uh, you ate him right up and licked the fucking plate, yeah. uh, which is exactly what he did. And, but like, she doesn't like, you know, she doesn't try to get out of the bathtub and like go away or anything. So she stays in the tub and like kind of accepts her fate. Um, and that's fucked up that, you know, it's put through the lens that, you know, she took her own life. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, poor Venetia, uh, I think she, uh, 
uh, even uh, I would say Elspeth got the 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 worst end of the stick than than Venetia. Uh, I mean Felix, yeah, his death, you know, like sucks obviously because he did nothing wrong, but he's also like still the you know. He, it's like he's still young and has the opportunity to not be that way like his family, but he's kind of already too far gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and then like I mean, it, you it, and I think it's because you know Felix is gonna die. It like kind of doesn't really have much impact, like you know it from the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, and knowing that he's you know the 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 lamb for the slaughter essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like his death didn't hit me as hard. So as far as in the horribleness of it but uh, i do love uh uh we get a you know a little haunted maze scene Ooh, in, sure in this in this little mansion um which is really fun yeah i love the detail <laughs> the joke where they're like the coroners are trying to find the body but they keep getting lost in the maze like that was such a <laughs> a funny bit he's like shall i send a gardener you know and them all like sobbing and crying as they're wheeling his his body across the window but yeah as far as like the the, the death of of everyone i don't think that especially on this rewatch i was uh, particularly emotionally um impacted uh by this film i think that this is a case of you know maybe diminishing returns i really do i i don't know if this movie is going to withstand the, the test of time for me because even on this rewatch i did sort of kind of mentally <laughs> kind of check out from this guy because i think a lot of the the mystery and the you know the tracking of the motivations even as far as like some of the tertiary characters are concerned just didn't quite um didn't quite hit for me like i said the moment that felix dies i think the, so does the movie <laughs> yeah and, and we'll and we'll continue talking more next month about like you know kind of how when you know the beats of an erotic thriller and things like that like how does that kind of hold up on your mm-hmm. rewatches and where do you mind the substance where it you know these movies are mostly just being a horny you know yeah. fun good time um i mean of course uh the vibes immaculate uh i love the i love the square aspect ratio mm-hmm. uh the, the the haze uh specifically being set in 2007 yeah uh, is uh really uh funny to me as I, well i hate that a lot of the soundtrack of this film is like coming back and people are like have you heard of mgmt and i'm like yeah fucking no mgmt dude come on <laughs> i mean it was, it's kind of the perfect uh, needle drop for that like again yeah. if you're like really encapsulating that uh this movie oh, came no, out no it's great i just hate that young people People are now like there's this really old song from MGMT right. and I'm like oh great <laughs> get my cane <laughs> yeah uh this movie did come out a month too late uh from being the most popular Halloween costumes oh yeah uh, we would have seen angel wings and antlers and sweaters all everywhere. around eh, they would have been everywhere but yeah. uh party looked pretty lit I mean, party looked great uh but this movie also looks great I think that the cinematography of this film was probably one of the best that I saw last year I think it's a shame that this didn't get a uh, cinematography nomination i think that that's kind of the only thing that this movie deserves i know a lot of people were dancing on this movie's grave so to speak that it didn't get any oscar nominations i don't i necessarily wasn't like that but i i think that if there was any noms to give this movie cinematography would be one of them i think that you know there are multiple shots in this movie that i remember the first time i that i saw this i out loud was like oh wow like that's just yeah yeah the production design uh is fantastic it definitely utilizes the uh the house porn angle Mm -hmm. uh to you know really i mean like there's so many fucking rooms i love that we get like the tour at the beginning like mtv crib style also felt very 2007 i love that scene i love the costuming of that scene i love that like 
like you were saying, the sunlight coming in through the haziness of everything, but also Felix is like wearing these like lighter jeans with like this yellow linen shirt. So like the sunlight is kind of hitting him like where, you know, in beneath the, his body and the shirt that kind of like outlines his mm-hmm. body. Meanwhile, Oliver is like, then, you know, this tucked in dress shirt that is like buttoned up all the way to his neck. So yeah, yeah this movie, you know, as far as the house, the costumes, everything is really zeroing in on, you know, uh, how these characters are perceived, even in this world. Yeah, it gives it gives you know that kind of romantic "Call Me by Your Name" vibe, of course, uh, a little bit uh, with kind of the, the the way that uses the sun and people sweating and uh, attention to bodies. Like this is you know a very hot cast in the movie. Make sure you know it. You know, I mean, fucking Barry Keoghan's back and shoulders. Whew. Uh, he's got it going on, but uh, and also a uh, uh, detail I love a uh, uh, great year for smoking. Uh, twenty twenty three. Uh, this movie makes uh smoking look so damn sexy. They're smoking inside everywhere because they don't care because yeah. the house is so big that the smoke probably just dissipates to the super high ceiling. Also the mid two thousands. Also the mid two thousands. <laughs> well, it, you know, I feel like even in the mid two thousands, we had kind of started getting away from that. Like you know, people. But so like yeah. that makes it feel even more like kind of more regal old money that yeah, they just sure, they sure. really just don't give a shit that like yeah of course we still smoke indoors uh don't you know i, I feel like at this point was, that was like a transitional uh time so um is there anything else you want to talk about before we can get into our final thoughts i don't really think so i i'm glad that this movie does spark discussion i think that that's such a rare thing with movie now new uh, movies nowadays is to go see something and it elicits anything out of you that just doesn't really happen a lot of days uh so i'm thankful that this movie did spark a discussion do i wish the movie was maybe a bit better you know that the discussion would be maybe be a bit more interesting to have sure uh but i do think that this is a film that i am uh i'm not all you know overly enthused with or not overly in love with i do appreciate you know a lot of this film i i think that visually it's fantastic i think the performances are great um, I don't think we've really like mentioned much about like Jacob Elordi like as an actor in this is like obviously having such a big year and I think that he is more than just a pretty face. I think he's legitimately like really great and charming in the movie and also is quite good at hiding like how duplicitous he exactly is. But everybody, Richard E. Grant, Barry Keegan, just across the board, you know, everybody is just wonderful in this film. Um, I think that the movie is a bit too big for its britches as far as it's kind of uh, what it's trying to say thematically about class structure and class mobility and uh, greed and ego and power and all of that. Um, I think that the movie is appropriately, um, you know, as, as deep as it kind of needs to be, I guess those are a lot of heavy ideas. So I understand why some people are kind of felt shortchanged, you know, it's uh, eat the rich is such a big, topic nowadays the fact that this movie is in my opinion intentionally not that deep um i think a lot of these uh frustrations that people have with the film i get where they're coming from but from my perspective i don't think that the movie is trying to be anything um uh super super thoughtful i think it's fun i think it's messy i think it's silly um out of probably how many bathtubs would i give it i would say uh uh, three and a half out of five it's not that deep guys i'm glad that people like it i'm glad you liked it uh but for me i think i do feel a little tired from the conversation it's like i like the movie but god god everyone shut up (laughs) hey you gave it our patented hot mess score which i'm not going to disagree with uh, however, yes, it is uh, much higher for me. Uh, this has been a film that ever since the first time I watched it, haven't stopped thinking about it. I've talked about it so much, written about it now. 
and now done the podcast, did the whole gambit. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think I think time's going to be kind to this film because I think a lot of people have been kind of burnt out and even turned off of the conversation that's been had around it. Um, so, you know, so I do think that in, you know, 10, 15 years, people are going to go, hey, that was a fun, weird movie. You know, it's, so. a, it's a fun little <laughs> weird movie. I think uh, the ensemble is fantastic. Um, uh, all around, like really, all the performances, whether it be Venetia, uh, with kind of this, uh, kind of like you know, desperation rise, mm-hmm. or Farley, you know, being a little conniving, kicking his feet with his evil plans, uh, stuff like that, and uh, Jacob Elordi, um, have not wanted an eyebrow ring, uh, much more, uh, after that I've seen this movie, because I'm like, damn, he's really working that eyebrow ring. I, I mean, I know, uh, yeah, he's like the the talk of the town. Everybody is obsessed with him nowadays, but. He's a good looking no, dude, th- man. He's a good looking dude. <laughs> I, I think he's I think he's decent. I think I think him being gigantic gives him a lot of points. I think yeah. if he was not six five, people would not be as obsessed. He's a good looking guy, but yeah. I don't think he's People give him too much credit for no, being he'd, tall. He'd make me blush. I'll tell you that much. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's he, he's he's like my third cutie uh, in this movie. Fourth, really, actually. Ooh, who's, uh, I got another power rankings now. I mean, I mean, it's gonna go. It's gonna go. Uh, Rosamund Pike, Farley, um, Oliver, then Felix, dang, then Venetia. What a power ranking! I can't disagree with it though. Everybody's a good, a uh, good looking in this. Yeah, and I mean everything just looks fantastic. And this is a movie that I've I've watched it like three times already now. Mm. I can just kind of put it on, and uh, again, like just kind of hang out in that world for a little bit and and dream about uh, uh, you know, murdering and dancing nakedly through the through the hallway, which we didn't talk about. But hey, Barry Keoghan, he threw that dong. He's hanging dong, man. You got to applaud it. Uh, yeah, I think that this is uh, definitely a vibe movie. I love how uh, it that that ending is just so it's 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 for it's silly it's loud it's just you know just cock out just dancing you know and, and that song has become mm-hmm. super popular nowadays yeah, it's so. a banger of a song yeah. and i think it's a very interesting ending because it kind of uh, on the surface is this kind of gleeful celebration he mm-hmm. won he got everything he wanted but really it's kind of sad because hey this is going to be all you're doing for the next you know however many decades yeah just by yourself you know like you've driven you're going to drive anybody yeah. else away that comes in totally just isolated even just like is being naked being bare you know mm-hmm. just by yourself so in this yeah empty mansion you're gonna it's, be it's dancing sad. nakedly with uh the yeah. ghost of salt burn for for decades to come but uh yeah. this is a 4.5 out of 5 for me god bless you love this <laughs> uh, love this film love this messy film but uh let's see what other movies besides talented mr ripley were on the brain while we were discussing salt burn All right, here on Movie Math, we are going to play a game, uh, putting some movies that are obviously in the conversation for this film uh, in some sort of mathematical equation. Um, like you had mentioned, Talented Mr. Ripley is obviously there, but I also saw um, a lot of The Favorite in this, which is also a movie yeah. about mm-hmm. somebody who is in this position of power, status, wealth, and you know they're sort of being this love triangle to try to get mm-hmm. close to uh, you know achieving that as well as tonally. Uh, both of the films are really funny. Uh, and gorgeous, uh, great production design uh, in both of those films. Uh, I have uh, Talented Mr. Ripley plus The Favorite uh, to the power of, you guessed it, Call Me By Your Name. Again, both of these films are these perfect summers. It's, you know, sunny and gorgeous. Uh, Also, uh, the obvious um, queer parallels, uh, they're there. But I do think that both of these films really do have this dreamlike, 
you know, nowhere time sort of, you know, kind of anachronistic quality to them that I do feel like is very apt for a summer vacation movie. You know, I, you remember those mm-hmm. summers when you were like 15, 16, 17, before you had a job and you were crushed by yeah, reality. It's like you don't know what day it is and it's you're, you know, just, you know, getting your brain bleached by the sun. I think Call Me By Your Name uh, in this film have a lot of similarities. Obviously, the the um, themes and subtext are very differently, but I do think they do, uh, have a shared DNA. So I, I think my movie math is pretty fucking obvious, but I think this is a movie that does wear its influences on its sleeve. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, Tarantino does it all the time, and he doesn't get nearly as much flack as Fennell did for this film. <laughs> um, and uh, as far as uh, those uh, romantic summer vacation holidays, uh, uh, unfortunately, it was not Italy, like Calming by Your Name. Uh, in Missouri, it's uh, when you get to go to Lake of the Ozarks with one of your friends for like two weeks. So, like, yeah. hey, my family has a boathouse, and we got our, our uh, jet skis. That was my uh, summer of Saltburn in Missouri. Um, in mine, I did everything I could to not include Mr. Ripley or Call Me By Your Name. So I got a little bit of a weird one. Um, so you know who else is uh, powered by sheer will to overtake rich people you and son of a bitch. gets lured into the life of luxury? You absolute son of a bitch. My Queen Esther, uh, Orphan First Kill, is where she gets the first taste of opulence and uh, you know, using her skills and manipulation. Uh, and killing people to get what she wants. She thinks for a moment she can convince daddy, but nope, uh, she can't convince him either, so he also has to die, uh, similar to Oliver and Felix. Um, so so I got my girl uh, Esther in here for Orphan First Kill. Divided by Nightmare Alley, um, for a lot of uh, kind of look similarities, uh, obviously there's a, um, a, a con man angle to this with Bradley Cooper's character as well, except uh, he doesn't inherit a house, he inherits a, uh, a mentalist uh, technique to which he, you know, s- steals away and then becomes, uh, you know, rich and famous, but then is ultimately brought down by his own, mm-hmm. you know, uh, greed and ambition. Uh, and again, like some similar uh, gothic stylistic choices uh, between the films. Um, but obviously he kind of has a different uh, motivation than Oliver does. But, he, you know, Bradley Cooper, uh, he uses his uh, sexual wilds a little bit as well. He lets uh, Tony Collette give him a hand job where? In the bathtub. In a bathtub. It's all coming together. Um, so so Orphan First Kill, uh, divided by Nightmare Alley in parentheses, raised to the power of uh, Dial M for murder. Uh, we had our Hitchcock month a couple months ago. This one did not make the cut, but um, uh, for its uh, kind of tonal playfulness. Like, I mean, for a movie about a guy trying to get his wife murdered and then uh but then he gets discovered cheating and that's like kind of a weird cat and mouse between this couple that both hate each other but yet you know can't stop you know uh this uh, kind of thing that they're doing um and some of uh some of the style as well uh some of uh the style of dialogue specifically Mm -hmm. uh kind of feels uh similar in tone uh to something like dial m for murder yeah i think that uh uh, a lot of the movies in your equation i would much rather (laughs) throw on (laughs) than salt burn so uh man uh it's it's good it's good company though i think that this movie like we've talked about uh does have a lot of uh similar qualities but i do think that this does have uh, a flavor and certainly a legacy of its own i do see this movie maintaining some sense of relevancy uh i could see this kind of coming back in a conversation when i'm old and gray you know people are like did you see saltburn i'm gonna be like oh, i remember the days of saltburn <laughs> i was there at ground zero of saltburn uh yeah i, I again i i hope i think uh 
time is going to be a little bit kind to it. Uh, however, this was a nice little primer into our theme for next month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, uh, we're done with 2023, uh, at least for now. I don't see any uh, 2023 on it's the schedule. The view mirror. Uh, so, so we're done. We are firmly in 2024, first subgenre coverage of the year. And we're going to be looking at erotic thrillers for February. We're know. getting nice and romantic, Devon. It's February, Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. uh, but also with a little bit of murder. Yes, romantic, sexy, crimes of passion. Uh, and again, I think, yes, it, it's going to be some of the uh, more interesting subgenre conversations when we kind of determine, you know, how many of these truly belong in horror. I think there are some erotic thrillers that. I would not put in a horror camp, but there are some. I guess it's the uh, level of malevolence uh, to to the film that right. uh, to see if that puts it in there or not. So yeah. I'm excited to dive in. I am too. I think that this could be similar to our uh, you know month of camp conversation, where we the, uh, the a bit of context sort of needed to yes. happen for each film of like kind of how does this fit all into this. But I'm very excited to uh, dive on into it next month. Yes, um, and we'll be uh, kicking it off with Double Lover. Garrett, what are you working on right now? Uh, you guys can follow me over on Letterboxd and Twitter and TikTok and all that good stuff, uh, at Garrett McDowell. Um, I also have another podcast that is a Star Wars podcast, uh, and we have new episodes every single Thursday, uh, and we would love to have you join our. We don't. We don't have a name. We don't. We don't have like a Phantom Zone. We need to think of something cool. <laughs> but uh, you guys uh, can uh, subscribe to all of that good stuff uh, in my Twitter bio. Join you in uh, in the cantina. That's what hey, that's what Scum and Villainy is, right? It's yeah. uh, the, the cantina place. Um, but, but yes, uh, we got links in that in the description below. And uh, you can find me on all the usual places at underscore Daddy Disco, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox. Uh, again, I uh, released a Saltburn article on Dread Central. Uh, so if you want to hear some more of my gothic haunted house um, things that I didn't get to in this conversation, uh, go check that article out. And uh, hopefully I'll have some more writing out uh, here soon as well. But... I'll go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>